welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's July 13th, 2022. I'm Rick Morton, and this is the Defender Podcast. Well, thanks again for joining us for this edition of the Defender Podcast. We're excited today to be continuing our conversation with Commissioner Jennifer Nichols of the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. Um, if you missed the first episode, uh, that came that aired on uh, June 29th of 2022, so two weeks ago. Um, we, we really invite you to go back and listen to that episode first um, to give a little, little bit of context for the continued conversation that we're having with Commissioner Nichols. Um, Commissioner Nichols is an appointee of Governor Bill Lee to lead Children's Services, Department of Children's Services in the state of Tennessee. Previously, she served as a judge uh, and also has served in the district attorney's office in Shelby County, uh, the county in which Memphis is, is a part uh, in Tennessee. She's been an advocate for child welfare, has been an advocate for for, for children, vulnerable children in the community for her entire career. And, uh, and it's really been an informative thing to be able to sit down and talk about how the church can be involved and, and about how we as believers and followers of Jesus can be involved in the foster care system and in the care of, of, of children uh, in our community. Uh, and so um, before we get there, before we talk uh, through the second half of the interview, I wanna remind you about Image Bearers. Um, a resource that our team put together, Image Bearers, um, shifting from pro-birth to pro-life. Image Bearers dives into what it means to be pro-life, not just pro-birth. We address topics like race, poverty, international orphan care, the family unit, and a whole lot more. Uh, This book includes prayer guides, tips for care to the fatherless in your community and around the world, and some thought-provoking questions that that in each chapter will give you an ability to be able to discuss the things that are there uh, with your family and with your friends. Purchase your copy of Image Bearers. You can go to lifelinechild.org backslash image dash bearers. That's lifelinechild.org backslash image dash bearers. Or you can see the show notes for more details. Without further ado, uh, let's get to our interview, the second half of our interview with um, Commissioner Jennifer Nichols, as, as she talks a little bit about the needs of children, particularly the needs of children who are adoptable within the foster care system, who need permanency in the permanency of a family. And so, um, again, we're very thankful for the opportunity to sit down with Commissioner Nichols, and I hope you'll uh, enjoy the opportunity um, to be able to hear the rest of this interview. And, and we we just honestly believe that that everything that's needed to answer those questions and to care for those kids already exists in the body of Christ. That's that's the position that that we have to come at this from. And, so let me interview yeah, you. Absolutely. Okay, you said this that the, it's the body of Christ. You said it, or who is best equipped? Mm-hmm. So if not you, then who? I think, yeah, I think that's not a question the church is allowed to answer except us. Like, I, I think when, when you look at all the people that are, that are in, in society, in the world, um, the church, 
of the Lord Jesus Christ are the people who have the call of God to say, we have to step into this place. And, and so I, I really believe when you talk about this 900 plus kids that are in, that are in full guardianship in the state, let's, let's be clear about what that means. That means that their, their parental rights have been terminated. They're awaiting an adopted family. That's right. And, and so in, in the 11,000 churches in the state of Tennessee, I just can't not believe that there are 900 families that are that are there. The like I I I must believe that there are 900 families within the church and the reason I believe that is not because I believe in the size of the church, it's not because I believe in the scope or the 11,000 or anything else. The the reason that I believe that is because God has consistently, through the scriptures, called his people to be the ones who, who are to care for the, the orphan and care for the widow and care for the sojourner. We're the ones that are supposed to, to, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction. And when he says visit, it's like it's the same word as pastor. It's, it's shepherd them, stand in the gap for them, provide for them. And, and I think maybe we've gone through many years where that wasn't a message that we were sharing always in the church. And we, we weren't really, you know, preaching and teaching maybe the whole counsel of, of God on that, but that, 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 that the, the, the truth is that in Jennifer, as we get to know each other, I think we're, we're finding out we're both blunt people and, and we just kind of, we just kind of say what's on our mind. Right. And I, and I think at the end of the day, um, the church has to bear some responsibility to say that that the reason that the state has built a system is because the church didn't do what God called us to do in the first place. And so we, you know, we can say we don't we don't like the way it's being done. We don't, you know, we don't. We, there would be things that we would do differently about the system or whatever. But I. My, you know, my daddy used to say, um, I, I like my action better than your inaction. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I think that that the, the reality today is that we are um, child welfare is something that is the responsibility of the state. And it's it's never not going to be. And it's and, and so to find ways for us as churches um, and as individual believers to be able to partner with the state to step into this work is just it's it's vital um and i think there's so there's so many people that are gonna that are listening to this podcast and and this is already a part of their life they're already fostering they've already adopted they've you know they've already stepped out in in some way um but even if that's not the call for you to do again the idea that you would you know sound the alarm (laughs) And, and, and really be a voice within your church to point to the fact that we, we have a responsibility under, you know, under the authority of God to step in and, and to do this work and that, and that we have to find meaningful ways to, to be able to work together with our friends at the state because, because we now share um, kind of that important responsibility. And so we're really thankful, honestly, that you are where you are and that and that this that this work is you know is 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 being done and there's someone that's being attentive to it 
but I think at Lifeline, we really believe that part of our responsibility is to go out there and to, you know, to, to remind the church that we have to step in and we have to be a part of this because because we don't have a we don't have an option not to. Well, the state was never meant to parents. Right. I mean. Right. And foster parents are the heroes. Right. Unequivocally, if you are listening, you are a hero. You have taken a call, middle of the night, early in the morning, and just if if others think about what that foster parent has done, you've literally gone and picked up a child that you didn't give birth to and are most likely not related to, and you bring that child home. Mm-hmm. Any parent that's ever had to spend the night party or, or had allowed your child to have a sleepover, so a child comes to your house for one night and they're gone, and you have you're responsible for burgers one night, biscuits in the morning, and they're gone. These foster parents open their door. They provide uh, living arrangements, food, uh, taking over laundry, taking over school, taking over medical appointments, taking over working with birth families, if that's part of the plan, taking over on top of their, quote, regular life. Mm -hmm. Um, And to do that, it's just the highest most noble thing I could think of that a person would do. And we don't make it easy. We as a society, mm-hmm. we don't make it easy. Mm-hmm. Because they're willing to do this and yet they struggle for services. They struggle for um, support. And that's where those, the rest of us who aren't fostering can step in. Can step in and help. And make sure that these people don't feel like that they are on the island by themselves, that they instead are somebody is ready and willing to step mm-hmm. up and help. Um, you are talking a lot about that being done by uh, the body of Christ. I don't disagree. But I believe it is society's yeah. as a whole mm-hmm. responsibility. Um the truth is, you know, where do you see most of that uh, work being done? Where do you see groups of people that routinely come together for common cause, who pool their resources for common beliefs, who uh, visit the sick, who, who bury the dead, who marry those that are fixing to get married? I mean, where do you find that? All Those in the kind church. Of resources. So, you know, I, I believe there's a lot to be said for what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, what I know is that if we don't do it, or when we don't do it, mm-hmm. we lose. Mm-hmm. We lose uh, youth, uh, children transition out of the system at 18, and if there's not, if they don't take advantage of an extension of foster care program, which we have a huge one. It's one of my favorite things that we do in Tennessee and we hope and wish that more youth would stay. But if they don't, they are not set up right. to succeed on their own. 
Uh, they struggle. They continue to struggle. I mean, there are stats, I wish I had them in front of me, about the number of, of youth who were in foster care and become homeless. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. It just that this is where fostering, adopting is transformational in the lives of that child, which is why I mm-hmm. said tackle it one at a time. Right. You can't fix the whole problem, but you can either do it yourself or support somebody who is helping our child. And I think I think the you know something to be noted is and I know a lot of the folks that are that are around Lifeline, no Lifeline, um, are international families that have adopted internationally or or have, you know, they have ties internationally. And I think it, it bears mentioning that the the outcomes and, and the statistics of outcomes for kids that are that are aging out of foster care without permanence are really not materially different from the statistics around the world for kids that are aging out of the the other forms of child welfare. So we understand when there's an orphanage culture in, you know, in a land and and that's, you know, we, we don't think that's, you know, maybe necessarily best. And and so we understand the poor outcomes there. I think it it's a little bit stark for us when we kind of stare into it and realize that that permanence is the the kind of the key, right? Like it's finding that place for a child to belong in a family and, and for them to, for them to have a home and a people and a, um, and, you know, in a place. I mean, when I was, we were talking again before we went on and, and time, you know, I was shocked, honestly, um, serving as a pastor in Memphis and, and realizing that, um, that really a lot of the children that are graduating out of foster care that make it, that have college in their future and have resources provided for them, how many of them fail very early on. And that the commonality of that is, is they, they have everything provided and given to them. Resources are, you know, plentiful. Mm -hmm. What they don't have is they don't have a relationship. And so I know when I was a college student, um, you know, if my financial aid got messed up, I called my daddy. You know, if if my if my clothes needed washing and I needed a good meal, um, I knew all I had to do was go home to my mama. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there were there were things where that there was that safety net to be able to go back to. And how many of these kids that they don't they don't have a safety net? They've had all their the the basic needs for life that have been provided, but what they don't have is is they don't have that thing that you know that ultimately. You know, we believe God. You know, God created family for a reason, and because it's the best, it's the best place. And and so, we have to begin to think about how we how we step in for those kids and provide permanency. And I'll give you an example of something that happened in Tennessee, and I know it happened everywhere. When COVID closed down college mm-hmm. campuses, I cannot tell you the number of kids who had gone through our foster care system in Tennessee, and I hate the word aged out, Mm -hmm. but had aged out and had taken advantage of our extension of foster care system, so they were in school. Mm -hmm. So when the dorms closed for those kids, they have nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. The system helped them be in school, 
They went to school. They had a place to live. They had a meal plan. And the minute all of that closed, they had nowhere to go. Right. And we had, you know, foster, we had some of our foster parents who were contacted by kids. And we actually tried to connect several of them ourselves to what I used to live with you. Can I come there? Saddest thing that you would ever. I mean, these were kids that were actually on their way to success. Right. Had stayed in school. Right. And literally, when you took away that dorm room and you took away the cafeteria, they had nowhere to go. Right. So your answer is couch hop if somebody will allow you to, or maybe uh, go back to your favorite foster parent. And we had parent after parent uh, who allowed kids to come back mm-hmm. and stay with them. There's just a lot that you said, just like you said, you're not done at 18 right. or, 19, right. or 19 or 20. I mean, most of us still need a little bite from our parents and have a lot of growing up to do. Mm-hmm. These kids are no different. Yeah. They're really not. And so I know you, you've done some things in, you know, in Tennessee to really push permanence to to make that a you know a hallmark of of the system that you created there's a um, i was intrigued as i was kind of getting ready for for us to sit and talk about um in the innovation of something called child stat and and sort of this idea of moving kids toward permanence um and i i just wonder could, could you talk a little bit about what like what tennessee's doing to help kids kind of at all phases of the of the system to be able to move to permanency more more quickly? Um, first of all, it's not rocket science. Uh, child stat is something we started doing about two years ago. Tennessee has 95 counties. We are divided into 12 distinct regions uh, within our system. And each region each of the regions have the same measurement um, indicators. I think we we have 18 of them now, where we are measuring everything from uh, number of adoptions, you know, in that region, number of permanent guardianship, number of reunifications, number of um, TBRs filed in a timely manner, number of um, uh, kinship placements, everything that you can think of that could potentially um, prolong, you know, entrance. We obviously we try, you know, entries and exits. The goal being to reunify or move to adoption or permanent guardianship more quickly. Um, and so to do that, we, we decided that we were going to try and break down silos within our own department. Uh, because it's so big and there's so many uh, different tasks, you know, we have a juvenile justice division, we have a child programs division, programs overseas, foster care and adoption. We have a child safety division. Safety, the people that, that run the hotline, mm-hmm. 24-7 hotline, and the ones that go into action when there is a suspected child abuse or neglect going on, the ones that go out and investigate uh, that that um, are sort of liaison with the courts, you know, prior to removals and uh, actually do removals. And so 
child stat and our legal division, we have about 100 lawyers, close to 100 lawyers uh, in all, that cover all 95 counties um, in the state. So child stat was an effort to bring all those people together. Mm. So you think about it. Child safety can help us on investigations and entries. Child programs, exits. Legal, are you filing the TPRs? But before you file the TPRs, programs has to get your packet ready. Programs, are you doing that on time or are you mm-hmm. delayed? So it's, it was a way of looking sort of start to finish, trying to uh, first understand understand the system in a way because uh, the regions, you know, East Tennessee is very, very different than, than West Tennessee. Absolutely. Um, I mean, just very different. And so it was trying to understand what was going on or what is going on in every single region and having those four divisions, legal, program, safety, and JJ, putting together the data together. Mm-hmm. So there's no finger pointing. Legal can't say, I'm not filing TPR because I didn't have the packet because the people that provide the packet are sitting at the table with it. Mm-hmm. And so you have your answer right there. Right. Um, and it is, the other thing we did with it was we provided um, resources from our central office, like in terms of coaches and advisors from senior leadership to those regions who were going out every month and meeting with people, um, helping, mentoring, advising, uh, and then we would report out each month on on how they were doing on the data. And we were still, COVID, like everything else, sort of derailed us shortly because it mm-hmm. changed everything, but we were back up and, and we didn't stop, mm-hmm. but it just, your numbers, were different. Um, so we were back on it, and I have high hopes. I mean, there was some, I think everyone, all 12 regions have bought into the process, mm-hmm. and that's part of it. And um, was being willing to sort of take a hard look at what mm-hmm. you're doing individually, mm-hmm. because it's not a blame game. It's like, let's look and see what where the, where the hiccups are. Right. And, and so we're doing that. I'm proud of that, and I look forward. Actually, coming up soon. I mean, just the most recent data on where the improvements have been made. There have been many. We have mm-hmm. identified um, certain things, and improvement has been made. We've also identified where the where the the problems are, the challenges, um, and are trying to address those in a way. Again, it's not blame game or finger pointing it's it's like let's look at this because this is happening we have some uh, regions that are doing things better than others so it's an information sharing you know and i'm told a whole lot of communication is going on between the regions that wasn't happening before just a willingness to say your numbers are great in this area mm-hmm. because otherwise they wouldn't have known right you know they wouldn't have known right. how that region for that particular mm-hmm. indicator so they're able to look, identify their own weaknesses, and maybe look around to see who's um, well, I think, better. I think it's really exciting that, and it and it reflects it reflects leadership. It reflects the fact that Governor Lee has prioritized child welfare as a significant part of 
his administration and, and the governance. And I think your leadership to, to bring to the state this idea of we're, we're not just going to keep doing the same thing. We're, we're going to, we're going to get better. We're going to look for ways to, you know, to improve and, and that there are, that there are tangible results that are being seen from looking at, looking at it differently and, and for, you know, increasing cooperation. I think the other thing that, and, you know, is kind of maybe even as we kind of wind down the, our interview is to talk a little bit about another one of those innovations that is um, changing things on some level, and that's um, Tennessee Fostering Hope. Tennessee Fosters Hope. I'm sorry, we have a program called Fostering Hope, and so it's, it's, uh, it's a little, little difficult, a little bit of a tongue twister, but Tennessee Fosters Hope um, is an initiative to engage churches and to really kind of um, build those bridges. And so I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about that and what's what's happening and and maybe your hopes for churches in Tennessee and what you'd love to see. Well, I, I love to talk about Tennessee Foster Show. I'm, I'm blessed, we are blessed to work for a governor who um, not only got behind, but has been a, a proponent, an advocate, a voice, for the initiative, and, it, and what it is is it's bringing together the faith community and houses of worship with nonprofits, with government and business, all to address the issue of children in foster care, adoption, supporting, recruiting, retaining uh, those people, and. We have great partners. I know that um, Lifeline is a great friend of Show Hope, and Show Hope is one of the original partners mm-hmm. in this endeavor. And, and ten, uh, Tennessee Kids Belong, which is the American Kids Belong, the Tennessee Arm of that. Uh, incredible partners have um, been there from the beginning, and, and th- there are others as well. But it, it has been a Interesting, interesting collaboration because, you know, the, the faith-based part of this initiative is able to do what they do best. Mm-hmm. Uh, sitting in my seat at DCS, I'm able to support them, provide data, provide access to information, uh, support them, frankly, in, in a different way that would normally be done uh, in a public Child welfare situation. Nonprofits, the same. I, I, I mentioned you know, one, but there are a lot. I was just mentioning the original ones. Um, and Governor Lee being sort of the, the proponent in, in his administration, being the architect of all of it. I'm not sure anybody else is doing it like we're doing it right mm-hmm. now. Um, but we meet regularly. We allow the various uh, partners to report out on what they're doing, to let us know the difficulties or the challenges that they are facing. So we frequently have uh, members of the faith community and and various uh, churches and organizations uh, to let us know what they need. Frankly, I I generally find them asking, what can we do? And so we're able to share that with them. Uh, Same with our nonprofit partners. but it is all, uh, I guess, geared towards recruiting 
uh, foster parents and then supporting them in such a way that, that it, again, that it is possible for those families and we're able to do this, then, um, you know, that 8,472 kids in foster care won't be without foster families and won't be in settings that aren't the best settings for them. And it's been, it's, it's a, it's a hopeful, very mm-hmm. hopeful endeavor. I don't want to blame everything on COVID, but COVID did change things. Sure. You know, when, when, when families have sickness in their home, they're, they're not going to open up their doors to take in a child whose background they know nothing about. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, you have to be kind of reasonable about your expectations. And, and we know that that played a part in perhaps some families that might have been interested or willing in fostering to not have been during that period of time. And we're so uh, happy about, I guess, moving past some of that mm-hmm. and hopeful that our numbers will come with the families that respond to uh, the churches and the nonprofits and the business members who are trying to help this so for those folks that are out there listening that would like to get their church involved or um, if they're in a business and they want to get engaged to to this initiative or wherever they're coming from what what would be maybe the the first step to um to to getting involved with what tennessee fosters hope is doing go to the website for one okay the website has lots of directions if you can't navigate the website, then you, then you can call me. <laughs> <laughs> we will hook you up. You can call Lifeline. Call right, there. Right. Uh, you know, call Tennessee Kids. Call, I mean, the website sort of lists a lot of partners mm-hmm. um, that can then help you get involved. And, and our Dave Warland, who, who works the governor's office with faith-based initiatives, uh, is a wonderful resource as well and there's so many ways that you can get involved mm-hmm. that anyone can whether it's a church or another group um it's it's never a problem getting information sure I'll say that well and we were talking earlier i think it's you know what what we need in many cases are just more bats we need more people to step to the to the forefront and to do what it is that they can do and if people brought what they have and what they're capable of and and everybody would would do a little bit according to um you know what they've been cut out and called out to be um this is an issue that we you know we can we can make some incredible strides in and i just appreciate the way that from the state perspective you've led in opening the doors to all of those folks and so um, as as we end, one of the things I, I, I want to ask you is we um, there are a lot of folks that listen to this podcast and and we know from um, past interactions and things that we've got a we've got a praying bunch of folks out there that listen to us and and so just be curious from from you in 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 the role that you know that, that you're in how how would you want people to you know encourage you and pray for you in in the in the place that you've been been given to serve thank you for asking um you know pray for all of us mm. pray for all of your leaders pray pray for me personally for guidance and strength and resilience and courage and um just that clear vision 
you know, it's a it's such an important role for anybody involved in the system, not just for me, but for you, mm-hmm. uh, for our governor, for uh, our legislators, and, and we all need the same thing. We need clear vision, we need strength, we need resilience, we need courage. Um, I know I do. Well, Jennifer Nichols, Commissioner Nichols, I know, although you don't want me to say that, um, thank you for being with us. Thanks for sitting down and and for this interview and just um, really appreciate the work that you're doing in Tennessee and and excited to see in the days ahead what uh, what things happen, um, particularly as the you know, as the church gets more deeply engaged and more deeply involved. And I, I hope maybe we can we can come back and, and get a progress report um, somewhere down the line of some great stories and some things that we can point to that um, that, that we've seen happen um, as a result of, of churches and, uh, and and individual families getting more engaged. Thank you for letting me be here and to talk about something that's definitely um, a passion of mine clearly and one of yours as well. And I would love to come back. Excellent. Well, we will we will definitely make sure we do that. So thanks again for listening to the Defender podcast. Um, again, this is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and we would love to be able to connect with you and, and talk about what it is that maybe God's laid on your heart um, in caring for orphan and vulnerable children and vulnerable families. You can find us at lifelinechild.org on the web or on social media. Just look for um, at Lifeline Child, and, and we're on all the all the basic social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and uh, in the main places where, where, where people can be found on social media. And so um, thanks again for listening. We look forward to uh, talking with you again next week and, uh, and pray that, uh, that the Lord uh, is near to you and also that the Lord would use you in ways that magnify his gospel and, and ultimately his heart for uh, the vulnerable. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.